Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal, season number 13, by the way, and Dan Delmar and uh, Euros Mlaikic sitting in for Mike Newton today. Euros, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. Nice to, nice to be with you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I think it's been a, a full year almost since my last appearance, but uh, these days it feels like it was uh, yesterday. Tell me about yourself real quick. You're a consultant at FL. How long have you been there? What is your area of expertise? So I've been with the firm now for just over 13 years. Uh, my book of clients uh, really ranges. I have companies that are small enough, uh, you know, just starting off, not necessarily incorporated, uh, but need some guidance uh, at the beginning stages uh, of their growth. And then I have companies that are big enough to be public, but they're not. The common factor is they're all privately owned companies, a lot of family owned businesses, uh, so uh, you, you see the different generations get involved and um, it's really fascinating. I mean, what I like the most about what I do is being able to integrate myself into what uh, clients are doing and add value. If I can add value, I need to be the first person to tell them that and then point them in the right direction. So uh, I love helping people in, in any way I can, whether it's for their business or personal stuff. Um, I'm here. If you need, if you have a question, I'll be happy to help uh, walk you through it. Great. So we have uh, David Laundry on the program today. He's the co-founder of Living Safe, a brand new company. Um, so this is actually an all millennial show today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And David is going to talk about these smart monitoring devices for the senior care industry. Um, Living Safe is part of the Centec Group, um, which is an incubator uh, that resides uh, at the old uh, planetarium, actually, in downtown Montreal. Um, government funded, privately funded, and uh, an incubator for some really interesting tech businesses. So David will be along uh, on the program as well. And later in the program, we'll talk to FL's expert on estates and trusts and uh, the importance of getting that straightened out um, as, you, uh, as you sort of straighten out your financial affairs in general with business. First, the, uh, the leadership, the thought leadership segment, as we call it, Euros, uh, or the thing we call thought leadership, because we don't love that term here on Today's <laughs> Entrepreneur. But nonetheless, um, you brought this story to, to the table from Fast Company, and I think it's great because you are very much a motivational guy. Um, you know, I've seen you with clients, and you like to motivate them. And uh, this this piece is about procrastination from Fast Company. Procrastination is an emotional problem. If you are managing someone who is procrastinating or not getting their work done on time or seems unmotivated or otherwise just not into it, um, what can you do with that? And, and how can you help them? Right. So I, I think, you know, the first point is that I'm sure that we can all admit to having procrastinated with something uh, at some point in time. Um, it, it is like what this article is saying is it's, it, it's really an emotion management problem. Um, the success, like you, you have a task at hand, there's a project to be done. You forecast that it's going to be painful. And so your mind tries to have you avoid that pain or discomfort. So you just end up delaying the task at hand. Uh, and, and that's really the issue. So the solution is uh, the success factor to go around that is breaking down what that task or project is into smaller milestones. And then achieving, as you achieve these smaller milestones, you have a sense of satisfaction and, and that's what keeps you going and, and motivated. Uh, what I like to do, Dan, and, uh, you know, we've spoken about this, um, uh, you know, off, to, off a show in the past, is I, I, I like to keep 
tabs on what I have to do. So as things come in, I'm a little old school in the sense that I, I keep an Excel sheet um, going of what my of my to do list essentially. So I, I add things to that and I take them off as I complete tasks and I can easily move things around. I, I realize that there's more sophisticated ways of getting that done these days. But like I said, I'm a little old school, so I use an Excel sheet. I used to use uh, yeah. You're you're showing me people the 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 listeners can't see it, but you're showing me a pen, a pen and paper. So I my, my to do list is right here on on my notepad every day. <laughs> I've evolved from that. Then you'd be you'd be happy for me, but. Um, um, really what it does is it, it brings things into perspective uh, in terms of what is the big picture of what you have to do in a given day or week or month. Uh, and it allows you to prioritize those tasks. If you don't see the full picture of what you need to do, then you may fail in prioritizing because you might give something priority, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that important. Um, so that's that's what's been working for me over the last few years and, and I keep doing that, you know, stick. If it's not broken, uh, don't fix it. Um, so yeah, that, that's what, that's, what's good for me. And, and obviously applying to your, applying hard deadlines to yourself, uh, sort of make forces you into getting things into gear and, and getting stuff done. I'm sure you agree, but the, the listing, especially to me, um, might be a pain in the butt at the beginning of your day sometimes, but it really creates a Zen atmosphere throughout your day when you know what you have to do that day and everything's under control. And it also mentioned that it's also good neuroscience, by the way. Um, there's a book that I read this summer called Atomic Habits. And in Atomic Habits, they describe the benefits of listing and of creating a list, a to-do list for yourself. And uh, it also speaks about the benefits of what they call habit stacking. So getting into a routine where you're stacking one habit and one routine after the other. So I write my morning list, I have my tea, I walk the dog, et cetera. And, uh, you know, works for me. For sure. And I think another important aspect of the list is make room for things that are n n not expected. Um, so that's one thing I realized as your responsibilities grow, there's, there's a lot more unknown that can come your way, uh, versus when you're starting something off in your career, you know, it's a lot more defined as to what you need to do and by when, um, but yeah, as things change and as your career evolves, it, it's more and more difficult. So you just need to keep up the pace and get better, uh, to make things look easier. This story from uh, Inc.com on the job shortage, which affects everyone really in North America, and it's it's being it's hitting us hard here in Quebec as well. Whenever you drive to a commercial district um, or a small town, you're bound to see help wanted signs everywhere. Um, this piece talks about rethinking hiring. What uh, would you uh, give Euros as advice to entrepreneurs who are looking for an edge, looking to just have a, a little a little leg up on their competition in terms of hiring? I think the culture and the tone that's set at the top is extremely important. Like uh, it's no secret right now, there's uh, you know uh, skilled labor uh, shortage. Um, you know, there's there's a problem in terms of who's available to do the required skills for a particular job, and they may not meet uh, what's required. So you're sort of just grabbing what you can in terms of um, you know team members potentially, and and you may pay the price later. Uh, I think you can avoid that problem if you set up a culture within your company that, that's, uh, you know, you have clear direction on where everyone's going. You're allowing people to grow and, and upskill uh, opportunities are presented to the team members. 
because there, there's surveys and, and pollings that they've done to show that it's not always about money. Um, you know, it, it's easy to lose someone on money, but in, in, in order to really keep talented people, they're saying that nearly two thirds of employees would leave their job if they're not presented with with upskilling opportunities. So how do you solve that problem? You need to have training uh, tailored specific uh, to what people's needs are. Listen to your team members, find out what it is they want, identify potential problems before they come to fruition uh, in a bad way and be proactive with that. And then another possible solution to me is, you know, instead of losing someone to a competitor, look at options if they want to do something different than what they're doing now is there an opportunity within your four walls in rotating roles uh, you know between departments and having someone do something else for a change that they may be stronger at and that you just haven't seen because they've been in another role this whole time so being open to those kinds of things and being flexible with your team members and trying to optimize everyone's uh, strengths the conditions to attract and keep your top employees once you get them there, um, also from Inc.com. What are your thoughts on that? Because just as hiring is a problem, retaining is also a big problem right now. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to, to speaking with uh, with David on that later in, in the eventual segment uh, that we'll have and speaking with him on, on his uh, company. But you know, I think you need to create, again, an environment where you're aligning everyone to the goal of the company. Uh, creating a sense of belonging and, and accountability and commitment for, for everyone following through on what you say you're going to do. Like, look, if you build an all-star team, no one's going to want to leave an all-star team. Uh, they're going to want to keep playing for that team and keep performing at the high level. You're setting certain expectations. But if you're sort of loosey-goosey with that stuff, then you know, you're know you at risk of, of losing talent. So again, you got to really uh, be in tune uh, with your team members and not lose sight of that. I think you know the pandemic, if one thing, it was an eye-opener into how important it is to give people feedback and stay in communication with them. And it, it doesn't, I mean, an email sometimes can get, uh, you know, lost, uh, pick up the phone and face-to-face, obviously social distancing and, and, um, and whatnot. But I, I think it's important to stay in touch uh, with your team members and identify things early before they become a problem. And lastly, uh, on the same theme, uh, solidifying your team, if you can't get that top employee, if you can't develop new talent, while well, you often have to rely on independent contractors. Um, what are your thoughts on that, uh, on basic rules there? Um, another story from Inc.com. I've certainly used a lot of independent contractors and um, had great experiences. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you have to keep in mind the different criteria that they're in place. I mean, this article that, that we're, you're referring to, I think, is, is based out of the U.S. They have similar, uh, not, not the same criteria that we have here in Canada. Uh, here in Canada, it depends on whether you're talking about um, a worker that's in Quebec or, or, or in Canada outside of Quebec. There's overlapping criteria, but they're not exactly the same. Uh, you gotta you gotta really look at what is the intent of a relationship. So, is it a contract of service, which is really more of an employer-employee type relationship, or is it a contract for services, which is more of a business type relationship, where you can argue that it's a contract worker? And the difference is, uh, as an employer, you know you may prefer to have. Uh, there's other variables involved, but. Long story short, you may prefer to have a contract worker versus an employee 
um, from a deductions at source perspective, there's costs involved for you for having an employee. Uh, but you need to be really careful with this stuff because uh, if you go down the rabbit hole of just saying everyone's a contractor when they're in fact not, you may pay the price later. It's going to be a much heftier price uh, than what you thought you saved uh, in not doing it properly. So the criteria are just to sum it up quickly is, you know, you got to determine the intent. Like I said, uh, you got to look at the level of control that the pair has over the workers' activities, who's providing the tools and equipment, the degree of financial risk that the worker takes, and, and things of that nature. And obviously, the agreement that you have in place with the workers is extremely important uh, as well. So if you, if you don't have a professional advisor, I suggest you seek one out to make sure that things are done properly so that you can uh, go to sleep at night. And also just in terms of the relationship with them, you know, I've noticed on, on my end, it helps to, uh, to not give them too many responsibilities. Like I've seen, I've seen some um, agencies give uh, freelancers email addresses and, you know, Slack accounts and stuff like that. My advice would be to, you know, save those responsibilities for, for those that are on the team permanently. That's a little too much sometimes for freelancers to, to deal with. Yeah, certain things. I mean, again, when you're looking at these criteria, and this is really if 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 something goes under audit by a, a government uh, auditor, uh, you know, they're going to look at all the facts and they're going to paint a picture of what they believe the relationship is. And if you don't have a position to argue. Uh, you know, if you don't have things in your in your favor to argue the position that you've taken, well, then uh, you're, you're going to lose that argument, uh, obviously. So things like you're describing may certainly not help um, your, your argument. So you've got to be wary of, of everything, really. Do invite them to the Christmas party, though, that you can do. And uh, let's get right to our profile, shall we? Um, he is a young entrepreneur. And so this is a startup show. Uh, we have with us David Laundry, who's the founder of Living Safe. They do smart monitoring devices for senior care. Uh, David, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So the first question is the very easiest. Just tell us what you do for a living. What is Living Safe? Right. So... Um, I am David Landry. I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Living Safe. And essentially what we do is we've created a technology that in the most private way possible uh, allows staff to get all the information and all the important information that they need from care units. And uh, tell me about how wh what kind of technology you use. So you are using AI. Um, what kind of data are you gathering? Right. So that's a super interesting question. Essentially, the, the type of sensor that we do use in our technology is uh, radar-based sensors. So no imaging, no cameras, nothing to wear on your, your body. And within, within 15 minutes, plug and play, install it on the wall, and essentially transforms a regular care unit into an intelligent unit. Uh, David, so in terms of what's on the market right now, is there something similar as a product? I guess that works differently or in the same fashion? Right. So what we typically find inside care units today is very far from our technology. Um, essentially, you know, it's places where staff is limited. And on top of that, they're very limited in the type of tools that they have to get information on the residents. And so even today, the most the, the best way they have of actually going to get the information that they need is when they physically go check up on every single resident. 
Right. And that's uh, obviously with, you know, limited staff, it becomes increasingly difficult to, to do exactly that. Uh, no, I could definitely see, you know, the need for something like this. You, you mentioned that the device is, um, or you were alluding to it, it's non-intrusive. So explain that a little more in terms of, you know, is there any certain barriers around this device, like specific materials that can infringe on it, on it doing its job? Um, okay, that's, the, yeah, that is a very good question as well. So what's very interesting about radar technology and radar waves in general is that um, it's able, depending on the frequency, to go through certain types of materials. In, in our case, yes, there is some material that could limit this, uh, but most materials inside care units allow us to go right through them, uh, making our range of detection very interesting. Okay, so the concept is you, you have these set up in a, in a senior home, and they're in specific rooms, and the nurses... Uh, that are working at this uh, at this facility are, are made aware if there's an issue if uh, if a person doesn't happen to be where they're supposed to be at a specific moment in time they're made aware kind of in real time and they can act on that that's exactly it so once we've installed our devices into these units from from their their um, their device that they get the information on they're able to now have insight on what's going on in, in real time in every single one of these units, allowing them to be just able to offer a better quality of care. They can increase the security for the, for the residents and really just react much quicker when an event happens. And is there, because there's always a concern from uh, whether it's the children of, of the seniors uh, at a specific facility, um, and how they're, you know, the communication between the facility and, and these, uh, say, the children. Is there a specific um, communication um, tool with respect to the device and, and those other people that are involved in the life of the senior? Like, like are you able to bypass the facility with, with, with this device, or does it still have to be streamlined through, or can it be both? So... <laughs> If I understand your question correctly, for sure in the care unit setting, then it's absolutely streamlined directly with the staff, right? Just to be the most effective possible. Whereas this technology could absolutely be adapted for home care, for example, and then therefore the, the information will not necessarily go to staff, but maybe to family members, um, you know, or, or even um, caregivers that come, come to, the, to the home. Okay, so the capabilities there, great. No, definitely, because I, I, the point I was making is is really sometimes it's difficult because the staff at a care facility is swamped, and and they may be overwhelmed with their duties and responsibilities. And I think you know it's always a concern uh, for for the family members uh, of an individual as to how they're doing. And instead of sort of bogging down the phone lines, you know, if they're able to get an update. Um, a safety update, I guess, uh, using this device that you've uh, that you're producing, I think that that that's a huge advantage that I could see. David, uh, one question. Um, obviously, senior care, huge industry right now, with with the demographics being what they are. How did you find your way to this to this industry? Right. Um, so it actually came from a personal experience of mine. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my my we put my grandmother into a retirement home. Uh, it so happened that several months after that, she she fell in the middle of the night. And since she was in an autonomous setting, you know, they, they don't necessarily go check up on them as much. 
And unfortunately, she had to wait 12 hours before staff found her. So until the next morning when it was time to go eat, um, fall, naturally, when you suffer an injury and you need to wait 12 hours, like it's very, any type of injury will just, you know, become worse. And you're, if you're not able to react quickly to, to serious injuries, well, in like in my grandma's case, it ends up being the event that really takes away for her autonomy and really reduces her quality of life significantly. So that that event um, that experience kind of always stuck with my family. And uh, as I was studying to become an engineer, you know, I was learning about all these interesting types of of sensors and technologies that could be used. And right away, I, I did the link to this situation and how we could use technology to 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 basically create something that's more autonomous, that the, the effectiveness of our solution doesn't rely on the seniors, to, let's say, press a button or wear anything. Um, so to truly make something that we believe could, could really improve the, the quality of care given to seniors. That's amazing. Euros, how often do we see um, entrepreneurs that, that start a business based on a personal experience? It's such a, such a great way to, uh, to start your, your life's work. Yeah, definitely, Dan. And, you know, uh, a, a lot of the success stories come in facing some sort of adversity, you know, whether it's directly with you or, or someone that you know. Um, and so the, certainly big success stories uh, stemming from, from you know, potentially situations that don't look like the best situations at, at the time, but will lead to something good. As they say, with, with something bad, there's always usually an upside somewhere down the road. David, um, we'll, we'll come back and talk a bit more about marketing, get your, getting the word out there. Um, first, though, tell me about your involvement with Centec and uh, your experience there. This is a, a, a government-funded incubator for young tech companies. So Absolutely. Well, I, so I actually um, studied engineering at ETS, which is the university that's kind of associated with Centec. And la my last year, I, I realized the opportunity to, to really integrate the startup ecosystem to to get access to incredible mentors to to really start my my education on how to build a strong foundation from a business perspective and um luckily you know with a lot of hard work me and my co-founders <laughs> sleepless nights working uh we managed to be part of the 33 uh, businesses that were picked out of the 158 that applied into our cohort and then from there you know it, we just pushed and pushed and pushed and then continuously applied everything we've learned, created contacts and relentlessly um, put in effort in order to reach our goals. Um, so luckily we were selected out of the 33 to be part of the incubator now for the propulsion program. And um, I'm actually doing this, this whole interview directly from our offices in Centec. I believe, uh, David, that's where the planetarium was, right? Is that where you're, you're coming from, the old planetarium? Oh, yes. The planetarium is part of the Centec incubator. I'm actually in one of the buildings that's very close to that, the planetarium where most of the startups are incubated. Very cool. So um, again, please recap for us. Uh, what is Living Safe and uh, what kinds of, of data points that you collect um, on, on some of the people under your care, uh, some of the seniors under your care? So Living Safe uh, creates a non-contact monitoring system for the senior care industry. Um, so essentially what we do is that with our wall-mounted device, we're able to extract information like, did the person fall? Is, is the person, has the person been moving? Is the person in bed? How they're using their, their unit, their spaces, as well as really interesting things that's unique to radar, which is vital sign monitoring without the need to wear anything. 
being uh, going back to the, the the aspect that you're in the Centec, you said the propulsion program. That's a 24 month program. Where are you within that uh, program right now, David? So we're about seven months from completing the two year program. So a little bit left to. Uh, and how have you found that whole process? I guess it's a, it's probably a little different than it was maybe two three years ago, given that it's a pandemic. Like you're right now in the development phase of, of your product, right? Exactly. So in our case, you know, we, we incorporated our business uh, March 9th, 2020. So a couple of days before the, um, the confinement um, at the beginning, you know, um, because our, our, target, our target clientele was so vulnerable, um, a lot of our meetings and, and all, of our, all of our meetings with people, with staff, with, with owners were all pushed back, which we had perceived as um, something that could slow us down. But really, as the months went by, we realized that actually, like, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because, you know, not a lot of people really understand how, like, the conditions inside of care units or inside of senior establishments in general. And having a lot of uh, media attention brought to that just basically showed how much there's a need for innovation in terms of technology inside these establishments. Let's deal with some of the recent media attention, especially here in Quebec when it comes to seniors' residences. Uh, I'm sure you've thought about this. I mean, how can your product um, help safety in, in some of these establishments? Right. Well, to begin with, I mean, th- these establishments have staffing problems. Um, it, it's not always the most valued job. It, it's difficult to retain your your um, your employees. Um, and, you know, that turns out that they have staffing problems because of that. And then on top of that, they're very limited in the type of technological tools that could help them do their jobs and, you know, just like help them spend more of their time dedicated to actually offering care to the residents. And that's exactly what we strive to do. In terms, uh, David, of, uh, you know, having team members uh, in your corporation and building a, a culture that's going to be, you know, for long term growth. Have you had any challenges? I mean, we've talked on the show uh, earlier about, you know, late labor shortages. Has any of that stuff affected you as a, as a startup in the Centec uh, propulsion program? Not at all. Not at all. We are extremely mission driven. Um, you know, the, the team for us is everything. And uh, up to now, the team we've managed to build uh, in the last year and a half of existence we haven't lost one team member. It's just growing. People are dedicated every day to improving the situation. You know, it's it's so uh, inspiring and uh, and you know helps so much when your all of your team is mission driven. And when you see what exists and how much more you could bring to the table, then you you realize it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Can you see your your product going beyond uh, like senior care facilities? Like, I know a thought that comes to mind is uh, with babies, you know, uh, having uh, something in the home if they're in a crib. Is that something that you've thought about or do do you want are you really just trying to channel into the senior care facility uh, aspect? Right. So certainly there's a lot of uh, verticals to explore with our basic technology. Um, however, we've dedicated ourselves entirely to senior care. 
David, I have a question on on ethics. A lot of people are talking about AI, data, the responsible use of data. Um, what are your your thoughts there? Your policies um, in terms of sharing data? Right. So, well, we first of all are entirely private, privacy oriented. From from the basic choice of the sensors we use to solve the problems we we were going after, we've always had emphasis on privacy. Um, it's important to know that in our case, you know, as we give the information to staff, well, naturally, it's important for them to know from which unit and then and who's in trouble, right? But once uh, we go further than that and we 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 um, basically get get data into our database, we completely render it um, anonymous. So we have algorithms that break the link between the data we get from the units uh, our devices are installed in so that there can no longer, it can no longer be retraced. That's really great to hear. Um, I don't think Facebook takes such steps to <laughs> anonymize our data. <laughs> no, definitely not, but you, you opted into it once you've accepted their, their terms of service. Um, final thought, David, where is this business going? Where do you see yourself in 10 years and um, where could you look to expand? That's a good question. Well, with, I mean, with the aging population and, and this happening all around the world, we believe that this is a global opportunity. Um, we think that really Quebec is an amazing place to start for us, um, not only from all the resources that we've, we have around us, but also from the demographic of, and the cultural decisions that we took putting a lot of seniors into big buildings. That gives us a, a very nice place to start, make sure refine our technology, optimize it in order to, you know, re really be able to expand across Canada, into the US, into Europe, where we've already had some traction and possibly into the Asian markets as well. And R&D wise, um, what, what other sorts of data or, 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 or conditions uh, would you want to track in the future? Well, that's kind of the beauty, right, in this type of technology. It's once you're installed in, in many units and you start receiving good data that you've cleaned, that you've labeled, then the, the possibilities become huge. You're able to not only optimize all of the functionalities you have to make them more performant, improve the services that we're able to give to establishments, to residents, to seniors, to their families, um, but you're really able to push and, and better understand their needs and use that data into a preventative aspect. So how are you able to use what you've learned in order to predict certain outcomes and therefore adapt care in order to prevent certain outcomes? That's really awesome. Yours quick uh, final thought. Yeah, end. no, I was just going to say, uh, hopefully, you know, stuff like this is going to be incentivized uh, for care facilities because it's a, it, uh, presumably it's a cost for them uh, to take on, but long-term it would save them costs in terms of, uh, you know, responsibility, labor requirements, and having people do these types of tasks manually versus uh, it being somewhat automated and, and more efficient. Um, but I think, you know, that battle in between, uh, you know, current costs with long-term benefit is something that hopefully, you know, someone's going to step in um, from a government perspective and, and, and hopefully subsidize some of this stuff uh, for the care facilities for the long-term good for, you know, the, the people that need the care. 
David, uh, thanks so much. You're going to hang around. We're going to have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. Um, they do smart monitoring for senior care. So that's on the way. But first, speaking of end-of-life care, we're going to chat now with our FL expert. Sarah Halleckman is, uh, is the expert on estates and trusts. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I'll jump right in, Dan. I'm curious. I want to maybe have Sarah explain to, to the listeners what can someone do to get their affairs in order and to ensure a smooth estate plan for, for their family? Um, so there are some really simple things that can be done that in, to ensure your affairs are in order for your family, which is really of the utmost importance. Like really, we're aiming to just make everything simple for your family um, in a time that's very emotionally difficult. Um, at the end of the day, you, the last thing you want is for your family to be guessing what your wishes may have been. Um, so first and foremost, it's the most important is to really have an up-to-date will that outlines all of your final wishes. So your will really serves as an outline of the distribution of your assets among family and loved ones. Um, it'll direct any charitable bequests uh, you may want, and it can also stipulate other instructions such as funeral arrangements. So um, what also can be really important in addition to having a will is preparing a mandate which is really helpful in cases of illness or incapacity. Um, and again, this really just serves to ensure that your wishes are made clear to your loved ones um, should kind of that situation arise. And especially again, during a time that can be really emotionally charged. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is when you're preparing a will, it can be really, really key to inform your executors. Um, obviously when you're asked to prepare, when you're preparing a will, you're asked to choose an executor or executors um, and letting those individuals know in advance uh, what their role will be, what they'll be expected to do can really um, reduce delays, um, reduce shock as well uh, for people that didn't know they were gonna be called upon to kind of be responsible to get things going. Um, and finally, the last thing you can do is having a personal balance sheet or really I call it a personal balance sheet, but really just a list of your personal assets, such as your bank accounts, your investment portfolios with various banks and brokers, um, details of properties you own, location of security deposit boxes, um, anything of the sort, really having that itemized can really help your family members and or your executors, you know, when the time comes. Definitely, Sarah. I think that's a the huge uh, factor at the end there that you mentioned with respect to having a personal balance sheet and letting those close to you sort of understand really the dynamics of you know what assets you have and what liabilities may be present, um, so they're not left surprised. Does everyone need a will, Sarah? What happens if someone passes away without a will? So, in short, yes, absolutely. Um, and I say this all the time: every adult should absolutely have a will. Um, even more important, specifically, anybody who owns a property, anybody who owns a business, if you have a partner, if you have children, um, specifically anybody that falls into any of those categories, 1000% needs a will. Um, a lot of people think that their assets are really simple. Everything will just kind of fall into place. Nothing complicated. I don't need a will. Um, the truth is without a will, there are so many potential unintended consequences um, that you would have never wanted. Uh, you would have never wanted for your family. Um, as a resident of Quebec, it's super important to draft your will with a notary because that will help avoid um, the will needing to be approved by the courts, which can cause other delays. Um, but back to kind of the unintended consequences um, in general, like no, I know no one is seeking out uh, reminders of their mortality that they won't be around forever, but it's so much scarier to not have a will than to have one. Um, so firstly, for example, if you have a common law spouse, um, they may not have any rights to your property without a will, um, which can obviously really complicate some 
your, you know, complicate things for someone who has considered themselves your spouse for your entire partnership. Um, if you're married, depending on whether you have children or surviving parents, um, those children or surviving parents may be entitled to portions of your estate, which can complicate things for your partner. Um, and even worse, I mean, if you have children who haven't reached the age of majority, it's possible the public curator well, the public curator will step in um, to potentially manage their inheritance, to potentially name a guardian in the case that they don't have a surviving parent. Um, you know, I've seen stories, I've I've lived it with clients where there's a surviving parent, the public curator steps in, the surviving parent has to provide reporting to how the inheritance is being spent on the children. It's a ton of administration, a ton of headaches. Um, without a will, things can be complicated if you have children from separate marriages or a spouse that's not the children, uh, the parent of your children rather. Um, so really on top of all those things, then there's um, negative tax consequences as well. Sarah Halleckman, she is the Estates and Trust Specialist at FL Montreal. Thanks so much, Sarah. Pleasure. And it's time as we end the program to turn to David Laundry, the co-founder of Living Safe, and ask David your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, sir. If you believe in what you're doing and you have not gotten the signs that tell that tell you that it's not possible, stay gritty, don't give up, and let's change the world together. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, David. And congratulations uh, on being one of those darling Sentech companies and best of luck with the future. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for the experience. And uh, I'll learn a lot from this. So hopefully the next time I'll get even better and better. Thanks, you David. did great. Yeah. Euros, uh, final thoughts. Very impressive young entrepreneur in the program today. Yeah, super impressive, Dan. And uh, honestly, great job, David. I think it's a fantastic product. I look forward uh, for it coming to in, in senior care facilities. I, I think the important, you know, one of the important things you said in, in terms of developing a business and and developing the product is stick to the game plan. You know, you you have to pivot in, in some respects when there's circumstances that come about. But you, you made a point into you know where you're going, you know what the niche market is that you want to focus on. You're building a team around you that uh, you care about, uh, that care about what you're doing, that you're giving them the ability to grow within your your company. I think all of that stuff is is super important and is the right recipe for a successful company. So kudos to you, David, and thanks a lot for taking the time to come on the show. Thank, Thank you, you, David. And thanks, uh, Euros, for being back co-hosting today. And next time on Today's Entrepreneur, we'll be chatting with Kamal Shah from Trombla Elysium, a unique concept of luxury vacation uh, rentals in the heart of Eastern North America's number one ski resort near where I'm from, Mont Tremblant. Very excited for the show. Thanks again, Euros and David, for being on the program today. Euros, you'll be guest hosting soon. Uh, Mike will be back shortly. Um, next week, Ernie Furt, tax partner at FL, will guest host with me again today. Uh, but Mike will be along um, very shortly. I'll be back, of course. We miss Mike. And don't forget, you can head over to todaysentrepreneur.org for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles dating back 13 years here on the program and subscribe on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform. Thanks very much, and we'll see you back here next week. Talk.